Well, today, today is New Year's Day in the Christian church. You feel any older? Well, it's New Year's Day on the Christian calendar because today we begin Advent. And with it, a whole new lectionary cycle of Scripture readings. And we've touched on that before, but just in case you wonder what that is or why it's important, the lectionary is a three-year cycle of passages that assign readings to each Sunday and to each Christian holiday. Specific readings from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the Epistles, and one reading from one of the Gospels. And the idea behind it ensures that if we follow it over time, a congregation will be exposed to every major theme of the Word of God. And it prevents pastors, as well as the people of the congregation, from just focusing on the messages of Scripture that we want to hear and that we're comfortable with. And so it keeps us from avoiding the challenge and the conviction of some of the more difficult verses in the Bible that we might wish were not there or maybe want to skip over. And the cycle of readings, they're, they're labeled A, B, and C in a revolving pattern. And we have just closed out year A last Sunday with its primary focus on Matthew's gospel. And today, today we're beginning year B, a year that's really about getting back to the basics. Because year B focuses primarily on the Gospel of Mark. A Gospel that's been described as one of action and few words. A Gospel whose author tells us, really within the first sentence pretty much, that it was written to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and then it jumps immediately into a dramatic and action-packed sequence of events. And one commentator described it like this. He said, imagine, if you will, that you're asleep, and dreaming, and suddenly your bedroom door bursts open. Someone shines a bright light down in your face and shouts, Wake up! Wake up! Get up! You're going to be late! He said that's what the Gospel of Mark is like when it opens. Because there's no infancy narrative, there's no genealogy, there's no prologue, just a fiery prophet shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord! And the author closed that description by saying, if you, meaning you and I, if we want to be prepared for this gospel, we better put on our spiritual running shoes if we hope to keep up with Jesus. Because in Mark, Jesus is a man on the move. But we're going to be ready for that this year. And now you might be tempted to think that that would kind of make for an odd reading for the first Sunday of Advent. Because Advent is, is usually described as a season of waiting and anticipating, and hoping for the coming of Christ. And that's true, but it's an active waiting. It's more than just patience and eager expectation because it involves dynamic participation from us. Participation from us because those of us who are waiting for Jesus aren't just passively sleeping through life and allowing time to go by. No, we are up, and we are dressed, and we're watching for that dawn to break. And that brings me to our gospel reading today that's going to take off in Mark chapter 13. And I want you to kind of keep those things in, in your mind as, as we read it. So this is Mark 13, beginning in verse 23. So hear now the words of the true and living God. Jesus said, watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give no light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power 
and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all of these things taking place, you will know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the house will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn or at daybreak, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. Watch for him. So you can see pretty easily from this reading that the key idea of the passage has to do with, with keeping alert, with staying awake. And at some of my sermons that may be harder than others. But, and watching and waiting for Christ to come. But waiting isn't really a very popular pastime in our culture anymore, is it? I just, I just saw that instant cameras are making a comeback. Maybe that's a trend I, I wasn't aware of, but I, I saw they're making a big comeback. We take our clothes to the same-day dry cleaners. We buy our food at the drive-thru and get mad if there aren't fresh, hot french fries immediately available the minute we pull up, and then we have to go to that little waiting area, you know, where they stick you. As all these other people breeze by with the food they wanted, and I'm still waiting for french fries. Impatient drivers tailgate people that they think are going too slow, and, and we could just go on and on with the, the list like that. So I don't know about you, but it kind of pinches me that in our text today, we hear Jesus talk about waiting, because I don't like to wait for anything. I heard my mother-in-law laugh. <laughs> and to illustrate this, illustrate Jesus tells a parable about a man who goes on a journey, really similar to that parable of the talents that we looked at in an earlier message. And in this story, though, he doesn't give his servants any notice about where he's going, when he'll come back. And he leaves these servants in charge of his home and his property, and he gives them specific work to do while he's away. And just as he leaves, his last word to his servants as he's kind of closing the, the front door behind him is to be diligent and be ready for his return whenever that might be. Whenever. It's kind of like, you know, the very first time as a young teenager that your parents trusted you to stay home alone while they go away on a weekend trip, and they trust you to look after the house and give you instructions on what they expect you to do while they're away. Mommy's shaking her head no. And, and then you know what happens when mom and dad are finally gone, there's that wonderful feeling of freedom, right? The whole house is yours. You can eat whatever you want, right? You can drink whatever you want. You can leave your clothes lying all around. You can stay up as late as you want to and sleep in until lunchtime. But if the parents come back and find the plants, you know, unwatered and they've all wilted and, and all the food has been eaten out of the cupboards and no more dishes will fit in the sink because it's too full and you've run out of clean underwear a week ago, right? And, 
then it would really be too late to kind of get into this flurry of, of bed making and dishwashing and doing laundry just when their car pulls into the driveway. Or even worse, what if you woke up in the middle of the night to find your parents standing at the end of the bed, catching you totally unprepared and with the whole house in a wreck? Right? Just picture that. And Jesus' parable today tells us to watch and be ready too, while at the same time reminding us that we have jobs to do while he's away. And we need to keep that in the forefront of our minds as we enter into this holy season because it's an important time not to miss, especially, especially with all the preparation for the holidays. You know, we get kind of lost in the secular consumerism of all of it with all the decorating and the shopping and the card giving that consumes these next four weeks, and it really sidetracks us from the essential message of the season. Because it's into this cultural setting that you and I are met with the single most dramatic news that the world has ever heard. And it's the message that God came to dwell among us. And even more than that, ready or not, he's coming back. And so as we go through these next four weeks, there's kind of this deliberate twofold approach to the Advent season. Firstly, we prepare for Jesus' first coming, his first advent in Bethlehem. But we also remind ourselves that Jesus will come again. And even though we can't know everything about exactly how or exactly when until it happens, there are some facts that we can hold on to that are straight from the lips of our Lord Jesus himself. And the first of those is we can know the general time, but not the precise time that Jesus Christ will return. So date setters, beware. Jesus said no one can know the day or the hour. The best we can do is read the signs. So if anyone ever comes to you and tells you that they've pinpointed the year or the month or the day that Jesus will return, don't believe them. Don't even have to give it a second thought because that person is either a false prophet or seriously deluded. Because Jesus strictly forbids the setting of dates for his return. But, of this much we can be sure. Jesus Christ is coming back again, and brothers and sisters, you can take that to the bank. His return is more certain than the existence of this universe, and he's told us that heaven and earth may pass away, but his word, which in, in this context means the message of his return, will never pass away until it is completed, because we can always, always trust God to keep his promises. Now, the second truth is, Jesus will return at a time when the world is completely unprepared. As I said at the beginning, you know, there's two kinds of waiting. There's, there's passive waiting and there's active waiting. I'm going to give you a quick example. Before we moved to, to Florida, we went together as a, a family on a, a fall foliage train ride in Pennsylvania. Have you ever been on one of those? Right? And if I remember right, you guys that have been here, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's an Amtrak route that goes from Altoona to Johnstown and gives you this great close-up view of the amazing range of colors that our trees in Pennsylvania get at the close out of the year. But you got to get there early. you got to get there really early. And, and for me, no matter whether I'm in a train station or an airport or, or wherever, it's interesting to me to watch how other people wait. At least I think so. So, you know, just imagine with me that you're, that you're in that railway station and we're people watching it. And people are waiting for the train to arrive, and we're looking around, and, and you notice that off in one corner of the waiting room, there's this man that's dozed off. Now, he, he's waiting for the train, too, 
But while he's waiting, he gets bored, and so he decides maybe he'll just catch up on some sleep. He thinks, oh, there's, there's still plenty of time before the train arrives. And so now, for now at least, he's basically tuned out. He's passively waiting. But, you know, we look around a little more, and then right up close to the window of the station, there's this little boy. He's waiting for the train, too, but he's excited. He's got his nose pressed to the glass. He can't sit still. He even pops his head in and out of the, the doors of the station, looks up and down the tracks, because he doesn't know what direction the train is going to be coming from. But when it does, he's not going to miss it. And he does that because he is waiting in full expectation and in excitement of the coming that he's expecting. He's, he's waiting on tiptoes because he's anticipating that train to arrive at any moment. He is actively waiting. And today, you and I have to decide how we are going to wait until Christ returns. We can choose to wait passively like the man sleeping in the corner who's just breathing in oxygen and taking up space. Because it doesn't require much energy. It doesn't require any attention or any commitment on our part. Like as if to say, well, if God wants us and he's all-knowing, he knows where to find me when he comes, right? And in the meantime, if you do that, all you're doing is kind of really dealing with your own concerns. You're only looking after your own needs, your needs for entertainment or, or leisure or novelty or personal economy with no bother about prayer or worship or missions or, or reading the Bible or with really deliberately living the Christian life. Or you and I can wait like that little boy did with eager expectation, the kind of waiting that, that involves prayer, that does involve worship, that does involve missions and Bible reading and deliberately, intentionally living the Christian life and going out of your way to serve other people and not just looking after your own needs. But you're doing it because you know that Jesus is coming back. You know that he's returning. Like that servant in the parable, and his absence doesn't mean forgetting about the master and what he wants us to do, but rather to actively wait and be prepared for whenever or wherever that moment might arrive in our lives. So we've got to choose. Because, you know, if you don't believe that Jesus will return, it doesn't really matter what you do. But if you do believe that Jesus will keep his word and come again, then we need to examine just how actively we've been waiting. Because the work of the kingdom of God, the work of the master, has been entrusted to you and me as his servants. And he expects us to be faithful, to be faithful. And he's telling us that, you know, there's really little point in worrying or fretting over when the master is going to return, even if, even if we see the sun darkened and the moon that gives no light. Even if we see stars falling from the sky or the powers of heaven shaking, we can't let the world around us frighten us and distract us because the most important concern that we have is that you and I be faithful to carry out his mission, to carry out the work that he's given us to do so that when he does return, he will find us faithfully working at the tasks he's given us to do. Just like the parents who trust their teenagers to look over the house while they're away, Jesus trust you and I to carry out his work until he returns. And you know, the Advent season is the perfect time of year to consider just how well we've been actively waiting for Christ. It's a time to ask ourselves questions like, how seriously have I taken the fact that Jesus Christ died for me? How well have I been actively waiting, or have I become disinterested and aloof from God 
and in his church? Have I been half-hearted and lukewarm in living my life for him? Or just doing what I want? Or has God's wants for me overtaken my own wants and my desire to please the crowd? Have I been content just to say a prayer now and then when I think of it? How well and how often have I worshipped God? Or has it become a matter of boring routine? Have I been going about my daily activities without reference for God or living as though we were actively in his presence? Is there a particular sin in my life that I'm letting get the better of me? Because one day Jesus will return and he's going to want to know what kind of Christian, what kind of follower that we have been while he's away. And you know, really, if you think about it, while we're waiting, we do that an awful lot, right? We spend a lot of our lives waiting. Someone has worked out that we spend almost six months of our lives just waiting at traffic. But you know, there's nothing more important than to wait for the return of the master. And what we do while we wait is just as important. Are we going to be like the men dozing at the railway station unaware of the approaching train? Or are we going to be actively waiting like the little boy? You know, someone asked Martin Luther once what he would do if he knew Christ was coming back tomorrow. And he's supposed to have said, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant a tree. In other words, just keep doing what you know to be right, and when Jesus returns, you won't be disappointed. So how can you and I be ready for Advent? Well, here's my advice. Live as though he might come today, but work as though he won't return for a thousand years. You know, I've said it before, but it's worth repeating that as a congregation, we owe a huge debt of gratitude to the men and women who work and plan and sacrifice so that we can have this facility that we're sitting in. You know, we are the recipients of their godly imagination and their enterprise. And, and even though I, for one, hope Christ comes today, if he tarries another generation, you and I need to be the same kind of faithful stewards and committed givers that our founders were so that we can leave this house of worship the coming generation so that it can carry on the ministry of the gospel into the future right up until the very day that Christ returns, whether that's in my lifetime or in J.J.'s lifetime or in his children's lifetime. We really can't know. But what we can do is hold on to the fact that when everything is in place, according to God's plan, Jesus will return. Not a moment sooner, not a second later. How close are we to that? To that moment? To that coming again? Maybe very close, certainly closer than we think. So live each day as though it might be your last, and one day you're going to be right. That's the hope. That's the promise of Advent as we wait together for the coming day when the Scripture says everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. The day that he will send out his angels together, his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of heaven and earth. And brothers and sisters, what a day, glorious day, that will be. Amen? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you so much for the glorious promise of your Son. We thank you, Father, for this church gathered to praise your name, and we thank you, Lord, for all that you're about to do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.